Ramble. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Bada bing, bada boom. Welcome to this week's mini-sode of Rotten Mango. I'm your host, Stephanie Sue. It was going to be a long day. I mean, it was just like the movies, really. Each housewife getting ready, staring into the mirror. Maybe they're sighing. Maybe they're crying. Maybe a tear is falling out the corner of their eye. They clasp on their little string of pearls. Perhaps a diamond necklace. They slip on the diamond rings. You know, it's going to be a long day. They had to dress their kids, take them to that stuffy room again where all the other housewives are going to be there with their stupid little kids. And of course, an attorney... Many attorneys, actually. Tensions were high. There were five women in total. None of them liked each other. Not a single one. In fact, hate would be a more appropriate word. They hated each other. Besides, they had a lot going on in their lives. Maybe they didn't have time to make friends. One of them had recently found videos of her significant other having sex with other women on his computer. She was distraught. She didn't even know if she should confront him. Another one had walked into the room and found a woman hiding in her partner's apartment. Just hiding in plain sight. Are you kidding? You knew that I was coming over and you have a woman hiding in the other room? Do you think I'm dumb? Of course he was cheating. But you know, as wives to high-powered businessmen, they they have similar problems. In theory, they should get along and bond. They're, They're relatable. But the biggest problem of all that every single five of them faced was probably the fact that their significant others were the same man. And he had just been murdered. Because of his murder, they found out that he had five wives with five different children, five completely separate lives that he's living on the side. Like, forget a double life. I mean, we've talked about cases where it's like, oh, this con man had two families on the side. This is a whole new level. How do you even keep up with five separate families? And the fact that he had just been murdered... I mean, it was up to the five wives to get their stake of his multi-million dollar estate. Who's going to get his $17 million house? What about his $8 million modern mansion? His private island? Did I say, did I mention that he had a private island? And his yacht that takes you to the private island? But I guess more importantly, who killed him? As always, full show notes are available at RottenMangoPodcast.com, but this is a Chinese case, and I worked with a professional translator on this one. She helped me out so much in just gathering as much information as possible. The crime did take place in Canada, though, so I went through all the court documents that I could find, and it's a lot. Buckle up, because people call this the real-life parasite case. Yeah, the movie? The The Oscar-winning movie. Yes, the South Korean movie that every Korean is so proud of. (laughs) But before we get into that, have you seen the YouTube show called Ultra Rich Asian Girls? (laughs) I I can see it from his little smile. He's like, oh, shit. Okay, what did you think of it? I think like back in the days, you were, there was just like, it's like rich kids of uh, Beverly Hills. You know? Yeah, it's like, yeah. This is like the Asian version of that. It's fascinating, no? Yeah. I mean, this is before the crazy rich Asians phase. It, it's a Canada-based reality show on YouTube, and it's broadcasted in English and Mandarin. It's literally exactly what you think it is. Daughters of rich, wealthy Chinese businessmen, they moved to Vancouver, ca- Canada, They live drama-riddled, bougie lives. I mean, their biggest problems are what limited edition color Ferrari are you getting? Did you buy the same Birkin that I did? I mean, we're going to fight. Like, these are what they're showcasing. And I'm sure that these girls had real problems just like everybody else. But the show did not care to showcase much of that. It was all about their unfathomable wealth, the ridiculous ways that they spent their money. I mean, these are second-generation wealthy girls that are just living off their parents' money. Some of them, okay, some of them do have businesses of their own, but it was like any other nepotism, baby. But most of their time, they spent driving around Vancouver in their Lamborghinis, buying $100,000 Van Cleef necklaces. One of them was like, hey, that piano over there is half a million dollars. It's kind of cheap. I might get it. It's a good deal. She's like, it's a discount. What? (laughs) Which, I mean, what? They even have their own private islands with private jets to get to those private islands, which 
I just realized sounds necessary because you can't have a Delta flight go out to your private island. You can't have a commercial flight go out there. So what do you do? You just rent a private jet each time? Or a boat or a yacht. Or a boat, he said. A paddle boat, a kayak. <laughs> okay, the overall management of this just sounds insane and out of this world. Thoughts and prayers to the ultra-rich. That's all I can say. But the show did really well on YouTube for the reasons that I just listed. It sounds crazy to think that people actually live like that. And on top of that, the way that these girls talked on the show was different, to put it nicely. One of them only talked about things in uh, reference to other expensive things. She would say things like, hiring a nanny for the month only costs the price of a pair of Roger Vivier heels. Which is, how much is that? I think like $800, $1,000, $2,000. I don't even know. Should I Google it? Oh my gosh, there's some for two th- $3,000, $2,000, $3,000. So say, oh my gosh. Hiring nanny is two pairs. Or yeah. she would say, that party that I just went to last weekend was freaking wild. It cost me half a Birkin bag. <laughs> Sometimes she would say, oh, and last time on my birthday, I drank two Fendi bags worth of alcohol. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> weird. Okay, imagine being I mean, there. <laughs> like the, the, what is it, mental... Cartwheels? Calculation you have, <laughs> have to be doing? It, no offense, I love you guys so much, but it reminds me of when parents talk about their children's ages and months. Like, I have to sit there and I'm buffering with a blank face. I'm like, wait, what the hell is 39 months? <laughs> like, how old are you? That is so much math I have to do. I gotta Google prices for Fendi bags, times it by two. Just tell me how much you spent. One of the main girls on the show was named Florence. She went by the name Flo's. She was quite the character from the get-go. She started her introduction in three different languages. She said in English, Hi, I'm Flo's. I'm an independent designer, and I'm developing my first clothing brand right now. It's activewear. Then they flash her Instagram bio, and it said, I'm sexy. I'm a CEO, a designer, an entrepreneur, and founder of Flozy Activewear and Lifestyle. And then at the end, just in case you were wondering master's degree she said that in english and then later in french she said my family and i moved to canada when i was 14 they wanted me to be trilingual so we settled in montreal so i could learn french i spent a year studying in milan at one of the top fashion institutes of the world i hold a master's degree in fashion and then she seamlessly switches over to mandarin and she says my family used to be of modest means they only made what like 15 dollars a month so they taught me from an early age how to be brave when i'm doing business how to take risks that's why i'm starting my own business now three different languages what a flex oh my gosh <laughs> i'm korean but you tell me to say something in korean and i will freeze now she seemed to be one of the few on the show that was just doing something in terms of work she seemed dedicated to her active wear company it was kind of refreshing. She was the oldest and more mature one on the show, a bit more mature than the other girls. So she was one of the more popular ones. Very well received. Now, don't get me wrong, though. She was loaded. On the third episode, she brought three other girls to her family's private island in British Columbia, Canada. It's about five acres. Just a private island. The family bought it for $2 million. It's now worth like $6 million. But anyway, they get off the plane and Florence famously says, welcome to my island. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the Hunger Games. It's so scary, but so cool. (laughs) So she shows the girls and the producers around and she would just walk through the room and just point at things and say, that lamp is made of porcelain. It's an antique. And of course, it would cut to another girl on the show sitting there during her interviews going, "Okay, and so what if it's antique? I don't care. God, can she be more subtle? (laughs) And she would roll her eyes. (laughs) But the show must go on, you know? The girls spend the rest of the time on the island, boating, crab fishing, making a delicious dinner, popping champagne, having the time of their lives. And they would sit around the dinner table and they would ask each other very important questions. Questions that could shape the future of this planet. Questions I have asked before. (laughs) which is would you rather marry an ugly guy that's rich or like a really hot guy but he's kind of broke which one (laughs) and one of the other girls would quickly say sounds like our youtube video (laughs) that's why i'm making fun of them because it's why do i sound like that (laughs) (laughs) and our whole family sits around and we're like okay let's debate debate for an hour And then one of the other girls, she quickly says, ugly but rich, because I would rather cry in an Audi than laugh in a Honda. Now it cut to Flo Z's 
talking to the producers and she said you're telling me that this girl has two personal assistants and limited edition handbags pianos and she would rather cry in an audi yikes implying not even a bugatti not even a rolls royce and audi is what you consider wealthy she must be poor was the implication these people are crazy i'm just gonna put that out there (laughs) but things took a turn when it was revealed that florence and her parents were living the real parasite life they were living in someone else's home and they were considered the parasites The house itself was an $8 million hillside mansion in Vancouver. Like the ones that would typically have names given to them. You know what I'm talking about? It's Mm -hmm. da-da-da-da-da, manor, or an estate. It's not a house, are you kidding? It's a mansion. It's huge. It was owned by a Chinese millionaire immigrant, and the family moved there, cooking up noodles for breakfast, making tea, eating fruit, looking out the window to soak in the beautiful, lush green scenery. All the while, the real owner of the house was dead and had been chopped into 108 separate pieces and placed into 14 separate boxes. It was the real life parasite. So let's talk about the movie in case you haven't seen it because you're like, what does this all mean, right? The movie itself is fascinating. I can't even tell you that I understand what the movie means because it's one of those where you keep watching it, you keep reading Reddit threads about it and you just want to know what other people are thinking but so many symbolic moments so many different references and it's truly confusing because it's a movie where there's no good people and there's no bad people there's no hero there's no villain really complex and as a korean we are so proud of this film it is considered one of the best films of all time and in case you haven't seen it or it's been a while let me refresh that memory the movie revolves around two separate families that live complete polar opposite lives you have the kim family they live in um, a very, this is very well known in South Korea, but they're semi-basement apartments. So you're under the ground, but your window at the very top looks at the floor of the street. Mm-hmm. So you just see a lot of things. It's not in good neighborhoods. It, it's a very unpleasant place to live. So they live with the two parents, Mr. and Mrs. Kim, and a son and a daughter. And all of them just rely on really odd jobs, like folding pizza boxes to put food on the table. They don't really have a career. The son of the Kim family, Kiwoo, is, he's actually pretty smart. I wouldn't say he's like the smartest, but he's pretty smart. And he's told by a family friend, hey, why don't you go tutor for this wealthy family? I was supposed to go, but I got other stuff anyway. Like, why don't you go? It might be a good way to make some money. So this wealthy family isn't just going to hire someone like Kiwoo and his sister. So they forge their resumes, go to the upper class estate in the middle of Seoul, South Korea, to interview with the wealthy Park family who they have younger kids, but it's Mr. and Mrs. Park and a son and a daughter, right? Now, this is interesting. They don't tell the Park family that they're related. So the Park family is looking for a tutor for the daughter, an academic tutor, and then an art teacher for the son. Mm -hmm. So the two Kim siblings act like complete strangers, forging their resumes, getting the job position. So they both get to tutor the Park family kids and they have both infiltrated this wealthy home and they're they're making money. They even get their dad in on the scheme. They decide that they're going to get the family chauffeur fired by planting a pair of very scandalous panties in the back to make it seem like while he was off duty, he was, you know, having sex in the back of the car. So now the Park family, they're looking for a new chauffeur. They're like, oh, okay, dad, you got to apply. They forge his resume and Mr. Kim gets hired. Now they're like, okay, well, we got to move on to the next. The last one we have is Mama Kim. She needs to be hired. So they devise a scheme to fire the current housekeeper there. They frame her, essentially. She gets fired. And what do you know? The Parks are hiring a housekeeper and Mrs. Kim gets the job. I mean, I think the visuals of this movie are wild. The constant switch back and forth between the Kim's rundown basement unit and the Parks over-the-top, lavish, modern, minimalistic home and in the beginning it's all hee hee ha ha this family is playing tricks on the rich family and getting paid nothing too serious right well you slowly start to see the shift happen you see the kims start feeling more like they belong in the park house or rather even they deserve it and when the parks are on vacation the kims will come into the house and lounge in it as if it's their own and anytime they're close to getting caught you see them scramble away like cockroaches That's very symbolic in the movie because Mrs. Kim always calls her husband the biggest cockroach of all. 
And metaphorically, I mean, it makes sense. Cockroaches hide and scramble to not get squashed. They're known for carrying parasites and are often immune to pesticides. You can't get rid of them. Now, by chance, the Kim family stumble upon another family secretly living in the bunker of the Park family house. So we've got now three classes. The Parks are the upper, upper class. Then you have the Kim family that are lower class that are working for the Park family. Then in the basement bunker, you have an even lower class family, right? So it's just a lot of socioeconomic symbolism that's going on. And it's interesting because you see this shift of the Kim family being like, you know what? I hate the Parks because they're rude to us. You know, they don't, they're not outright rude, but they say some snide comments. They're oblivious to our suffering. They're so tone deaf. They don't know how to read the room people are dying kim but then suddenly when they meet a lower class family in the bunker they start treating them the same way just as how the parks were treating them and it just goes to show you know you have the upper class you have the middle class the lower class and each class is parasitic in their own way and they each believe that the ones below them are the only parasites and they themselves were not cockroaches but i guess the reality is we all are (laughs) the movie's fascinating because you don't know who's good or bad for most of the film Even afterwards, you're like, wait, what? The only thing that's clear between the different characters is some of them have money and then the others do not. And it's made clear when the Kim's semi-underground apartment gets flooded and they start watching those around them lose everything. So the lower class, I mean, their apartments are getting destroyed. I mean, it's half basement. The water is just pouring in. Which is happening right right now. now, And it's a whole ordeal. They're trying to get rid of those semi-underground basement apartments because... So many people have perished right now. It's so depressing. Now, the Parks don't even realize. When the Kims get to work, Mrs. Park is in the car while Mr. Kim is chauffeuring her. And she's talking about how she's so excited for her child's birthday party. And she's so glad because it rained. And now the sun is out. She has no idea that there are people out there losing their homes because of the rain. Because she's never even stepped foot in a semi-underground apartment. And the Parks, you know, they're honestly not the most evil rich family on TV. They're very real in the sense like they're nice at times, but they're very firm. They set their boundaries and there's almost this layer of disconnect between them and everybody else. They have a hard time empathizing with anyone that has less money than them. You know, the Parks are not nice people. And uh, the Kims actually say the Parks are only nice to us because they're rich. If we were rich, we could afford to be nice, too. But the Parks, they do have their prejudices towards Kim and other lower class people. They pretty much said, you know, we don't mind the lower class as long as they don't cross the line and interfere with our lives, which sounds like the opposite of we don't mind. But neither of the Park parents can stand the smell of the Kims. It's it's like this basement smell that they've never had to experience. It's something that the Kims can't even control. But the Parks, they find themselves waving the air in front of their noses, opening the windows and sticking their little nostrils out when Mr. Kim is driving and just cringing at his smell. And that sends Mr. Kim into a murderous rage, literally. So the ending just leaves you with this pressing question of who's the real parasite in the movie? Is it the rich family who believe lower classes are smelly and only tolerate them if they don't step over their boundaries? Or is it the lower class family that leeches off the upper class and believes that they're terrible people who are only nice because they're rich? I think the answer is both. It's one of those movies, truly. I mean, it just shows the system is broken. The lack of empathy, the complete ignorance by the rich and the desperation of the poor. Nobody is clearly bad nor clearly good. There's only rich people and poor people. And this is an interesting question that kind of applies to this case. It might seem like the Kims are the worst people because they, the dad actually kills Mr. Park. So Mr. Kim kills rich Mr. Park and um, nearly killed a housekeeper to get her fired. They did a lot of forked up stuff. One of them even kissed a minor, the son of the Kim family. But I guess the ending consensus is that the Kims believe if they were rich, they would never have to resort to this. They would never have to do things like this. And if the Parks were poor, they would do exactly the same thing. So honestly, the movie is just as confusing as the first time I watched it. But this is the real parasite case. So Florence was born to her dad, let's call him Mr. Zhao, and her mom, Lee. Now, Mr. Zhao is like the focus of this case. The guy was very timid. I don't know what else to say. That's how everyone described him. You would never look at this guy and think that he had leadership skills. That's just not something that would even come to your mind. Homicidal capabilities and tendencies wouldn't even come to your mind. But that just goes to show you can't really ever judge someone. 
He was barely over five feet tall. He had this really rough upbringing. I mean, he lived through such a scary, scary part of history in China. His father was in prison for a few years. His parents were unable to find work. The family had to scavenge for food and could only eat one meal per day. And at night, they would have to huddle under a single freaking blanket to keep warm. Each person comes out of a, a childhood like that very differently. Mr. Zhao came out of it feeling even more timid. He started feeling like, oh, I really can't do anything because my parents are such good people and look what happened to them. So I have to be extra by the letter, you know, dot my I's and cross my T's. Everything has to be perfect. He felt like any confrontation, any fighting was bad. Is this person me? <laughs> like he really hated confrontation, any sort of fighting. To make matters worse, his mom was killed in an accident when he was only 11 years old. So add to that even more stress even more trauma to his life. He just felt like he had to fill his parents' shoes. He had to man up and take care of his dad. So Mr. Zhao goes to a labor camp at a farm when he's just 16 years old, a full-on labor camp. Normally, the age to get started was 18 years old, but he really needed the money. He would send 90% of it back to his family so that they could eat more than once a day. And he worked 15 hours a day in the heat, dripping sweat, getting yelled at, ignoring the aches and pains. I mean, I can't even imagine. His back probably felt like it was made out of just brittle crackers that's about to crumble inside of his skin. He felt pains all over his body and he's just 16. After a few months of this, Mr. Zhao felt so homesick that he thought, you know what, I'm going to take a couple weeks off like I've saved up enough money. I'm going to walk all the way home and see my family and then walk back to work. That little walk, you're thinking maybe an hour, right? maybe two. OK, fine. Let's make it three hours. That little walk was 1000 miles. What? Everyone told him, you know, I don't think that's a good idea. Yeah, I don't, especially because it's like snowing and it's really cold outside. This is the middle of winter. You really think you can walk a thousand miles? He's like, yeah, it's going to take me probably, you know, 13 days, 10 hours, 35 minutes to walk without any stops at a normal brisk pace. Like you can't even be admiring the scenery. I mean, it sounds nearly impossible, but this 17 year old is like, I'm going to freaking do it. So he tried it. He ended up in the hospital for frostbite and was even sent into the psychiatric unit for some help. So I don't know if maybe he had some sort of mental break at this point. I don't know if this impacted the rest of his life or if it was just a mounting of childhood trauma that finally broke loose and was spilling over. Or maybe the doctors examined him and noticed something was a bit off. I don't know. Nobody ever told him what was wrong with him. It was just that something was wrong mentally, and that was it. So they give him some medication. They're like smacking him on the butt. All right, you're good to go. And Mr. Zhao tried to take it. He's like, you know what? I will take the medicine. But it made him sleepy, and he needs to work. This is the last thing he needed. So he freaking dumped them in the trash and went back to the farm. I mean, this guy had such a horrible childhood, and I think it's interesting. Because of his experiences, psychiatrists believe that he really, really hated making people unhappy. He's so sensitive to his surroundings, to other people's energies and opinions about him. Once he grew up, he stopped working on the farm. He actually went into kind of corporate route. He started working for a transportation company. Honestly, went well. I mean, he made money, started investing what little money he had. Got very lucky. He was making good money now. The struggling days were long gone, especially when he met his future wife, Lee. She... She's like the brains behind the couple, maybe. You know, she was a strong woman with a lot of ambition. She was the perfect addition to his life. So with her help, Mr. Zhao started a successful printing company. Then they had a daughter, Florence, and it was all going so well. They even immigrated to Montreal, Canada, expanded the business. Florence is off running around learning English and French. And, you know, she's getting this amazing education. And for the first few years, life is bliss. But later, it seemed like... Mr. Zhao's luck just ran out. I mean, I'm going to be honest. He made some wrong trades, some bad investments. He had single-handedly put his family into deep financial struggles within a couple of years. So everyone's shocked. I mean, how do you go from doing so well and being so well-respected in their Montreal community, and then all of a sudden, you know, all those relatives that are praising them back home in China are like, oh, are you sure you don't need us to send you some money to help you out a little bit? It was like a fall from grace in their perspective. But thankfully, a few family members were willing to catch them on the way down. They're like, I got you. Hand over the emergency parachute. So Lee, the wife, 
She was adopted into a very nice family that believed in hard work and entrepreneurship. So Lee's cousin, Mr. Yuan, reached out to her and asked the family, hey, do you want to work with me? So this is her cousin, right? Not biological cousin. They don't really share any genetics, but her cousin nonetheless. So Yuan was famous in Lee's family. He's like, he's the super successful one. He's the one that all the other parents would compare their full grown children to. Well, why can't you be more like Yuan, huh? Why don't you ask Yuan to help you out with some work? Maybe he can find you a job. Maybe you can, you know, have a mentorship with Yuan. So Yuan was a very street smart guy. He had a super strong personality. He reminds me of those very wealthy people that are very nice and happy at first glance, but they're also very opinionated and could be very, very scary when they're mad. So you got to like tiptoe around them because you're like, please don't hurt me. <laughs> that, that's kind of the vibe that he gives. And he used some of his family's money to invest in coal production when he was young. How do you even get into coal when you're young? He expanded the business, quickly made tens of millions of dollars. And then he started investing that money and making even more money. And now that his business is just expanding, expanding, getting out of control, he didn't want to stay in China anymore. He wanted to explore Canada. So what does he do? He marries a Canadian Chinese woman who gets him into Canada. And right when he gets his permanent residency, literally a month after, they file for divorce. And he went on a shopping spree. He bought a $35 million worth of Canadian real estate. He single-handedly is stimulating the real estate economy. I mean, I just want to know, did he use one realtor or like multiple realtors? Because that's insane. $35 million, which included, but not limited to, an $8 million modern mansion, the one that Florence was seen in. It was in the most exclusive mountainside enclave in Vancouver. He paid for a majority of that $8 million in cash. And to really drive home the opulence and the wealth factor, he put a taxidermied stuffed Black Panther posing on a rock at the grand entrance. A Black Panther, a real one, it's taxidermied, so it's dead and stuffed and preserved. Wow. I, I would imagine, like imagine being um, a DoorDash for that house, I would feel very confused. Like, what, what is this? He also used cash to buy a big 10-bedroom Tudor revival home in one of Vancouver's most desirable areas. I mean, it's the old money area, they say. This house was estimated to be $17 million. This would be his main residence in Canada. And he had a lot more. He had the private island in British Columbia. He had a yacht, which side note, he put the private island and his yacht in his mom's name. So imagine you're like, welcome to my mommy's boat. I don't know why that gives me a chuckle like this guy is just he had penthouses in China in Beijing and on top of that he had Rolls Royces Bentleys like all the gadgets that you would imagine a rich person has so this guy is very wealthy he had a ton of influence in the Chinese community he was the director of the Chinese Canadian Community Service Association which is a big name huh. and it's it's a large name for one of the largest Chinese communities in Canada He's, he's the one that everyone would invite to charity fundraising events and galas because, you know, he's a big boss. He's Mr. Deep Pockets. His business is still booming. So he's really just at the prime of his life at what, 40 something years old. He's constantly going from China to Canada, going on vacations, US, Europe. I mean, this guy's never home in his $35 million worth of real estate in Canada. Even when he was in Canada, he just stayed in the $17 million mansion. I don't even know why he bought the $8 million mansion. Maybe he bought it first and was like, I've outgrown it. So the house is just sitting empty. And he didn't like it because he wished that he had staff to take care of it, to, to manage it, to make it feel lived in whenever he visited. Which I learned this from Ellen DeGeneres. I know people are very... Um, she's a very controversial person now. But she, there was an interview with her in Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal. Mm -hmm. And he has like 20 bathrooms in his house. And she said, well, you need to have someone flush and use the sink in every bathroom at least a couple times a week. Otherwise, you get a sewage scent. <laughs> yeah, the rich people problems. So he didn't want the house to sit empty because maybe all the bathrooms were emitting a sewage scent because nobody's flushing the toilet every single day. So huh. he needs someone to live there and go around just flushing the toilets, just peeing in every bathroom. I mean, it wasn't ideal, but he has to trust the staff to live there full time. Eh, maybe, maybe not like trust, trust, but he knew that at least he trusted his family more than strangers. So that's why he reaches out to his cousin, Lee. Now, again, they're not biologically related. This is kind of pertinent later <laughs> since Lee was adopted. But, you know, they were in Canada. They seemed to have some business experience. Not that the Zhang business was going well, but at least they dabbled in business upkeep. At least they knew the terms and like what to do. 
So he reaches out to them and is like, hey, you want to come to Vancouver to help me take care of my property? You can live in the $8 million house. Help me with the business. I will take care of all of your daily necessities, your food, the utilities. You can use my cars and I'll pay you a little salary on top of it. Are you kidding? This is like the best deal (laughs) ever. Now, I don't know if Lee would have taken up on her cousin's offer if they weren't financially struggling, but they hopped at the chance. They packed their bags, moved out to freaking Vancouver in 2010. Mr. Yuan even put the $8 million house under Lee's name. Now, some people are like, that's real love. That's real trust. That's family. But in reality, no, it was just a way for him to evade taxes. So the family just get down to business and the first order of business, Mr. Zhao said it was arson. Yeah. So Yuan apparently came over to him and was like, listen, sit down. I don't know if you know the struggles of having a rich person house like my Tudor style home, you know, but it's an old house. It's a very historical building. It's the $17 million one. Well, I'm trying to demo it and make it real modern. I'm trying to like redo all of it. But the city's not going to let me because they're like, it's a heritage home. It's history. So annoying. I want you to burn it down because then they can't get mad. I mean, it's burnt to the ground. Mr. Zal's like, wait, wait, what? I mean, regular arson is terrifying and illegal and it should never be done. But this is straight up insurance fraud. And it's not even one that would be easily swept under the rug. This is one of the most expensive houses in the neighborhood. There would be a thorough investigation. So Mr. Zhao is like, maybe that's not the best idea. Besides, I think if you keep it this way, the real estate market, it's just going to go up and up and up. The older the house gets, you should just keep it like this. Fine. So the second order of business, Yuan had a business in China that dealt with farming. So like I said, Mr. Zhao had grown up on a farm, right? So he's like, this is perfect. I have experience. I will go over the day-to-day operations, except for the finances, because you like to do that, Yuan. I'll work with the employees, the regulations, the permits, all of that. In return, I just want 33% of the revenue, 33% of the profits after expenses. And if you ever sell the farmland at a profit, I want a piece of those profits. So he's like, okay, sounds good, Zhao. But the company eventually runs into legal issues and all the prior profits were used to fund attorneys. So Zhao would never see any money from it. And he's starting to get frustrated. And that wasn't even the biggest problem with the business is that they were being shady with the law. I mean, you would think that's the biggest, but it wasn't. The biggest problem was that Yuan was using the business to pay out a bunch of women that never worked in the business, never stepped foot on the farm, had no idea what a farm was. So Yuan is out here committing some sort of tax fraud or he's just paying a bunch of girlfriends through his company still tax fraud giving them allowance making it seem like they work for the company which they don't unless you consider going on dates in beijing and not the farm working for the company i don't know but it's fine right that's the world of business not every first venture together works out perfectly not every second venture works out zhao was still very excited about this this time He knew what kind of businessman Yuan was, and he would be more careful. Besides, who cares? He lives in this beautiful house, all paid for, all expenses paid for. They have a housekeeper. They have a freaking cleaning staff, uh, people who come in and cook and do all of these things. He has no complaints. Zhao even grew some influence in the Vancouver area amongst the Chinese. He would go to these charity events with Yuan, just connecting with millionaires, collecting little phone numbers into his little millionaire pocket. He introduced himself as a family member of Mr. Yuan, as well as his business partner. So of course, immediately, everyone's treating this guy with respect. Now, Mr. Zhao and Yuan would even go hunting together. Sounds like the life, right? Cute family relations, wholesome. Not really, but you get it. I mean, kind of. But behind the scenes, it was weird. Zhao had asked Yuan to borrow some money to trade in the stock market. A cool $2 million. And within a couple of years, yeah, a cool $2 million. Who has for a loan for $2 million from anyone? anyone? Yeah, even the bank. Who has $2 million to give as a loan to anyone? (laughs) And within a couple of years, the guy loses 80% of it. 80%. I mean, it's interesting because it's Yan's fault for working with his family and even letting them borrow that kind of money. But I can also see Yan is getting frustrated. Maybe he felt like he was give, give, giving and the family was just taking. For example, Florence is whipping around in his Rolls Royce, living in his $8 million mansion, had the house cleaned for by his housekeepers. Even on the show, Crazy Rich Asian Girls. No, 
ultra rich Asian girls. <laughs> Not once did Florence ever mention her uncle. She made it seem like all the wealth was from her parents yeah. and her clothing brand. Yeah, she, so it, she never said that. She claimed everything yeah. was hers. It's crazy. And so maybe Yuan saw it. Maybe he felt resentment, not because he wants the credit, but like, oh my God, are these people getting entitled living off of me? Mm. Do they think like this is their money? Maybe this isn't what he envisioned when he wanted to work with them. Maybe he didn't realize how quickly that they would adapt to this wealthy lifestyle. But regardless, when business for Yuan started to slow down, he's sitting there thinking of ways to cut back on his expenses. Like, can you imagine the amount of expenses this guy has? Like through no fault of his own, but like, that's a lot of expenses. He started to feel like the Zhao family was a huge burden. All they did was spend lavishly, lose money in the stock market, take up space in one of his mansions. So before he thought of a way to let them go, Mr. Zhao comes to him with a new business idea. He's like, you know, Yuan, we love hunting so much, right? And I, I was just talking to some novice hunters. They're just getting started. And they keep telling me, you know, my eyesight's good. I'm really good with my rifles, but I just can't hold it upright. It's so heavy. So when I try to fire, it starts, you know, moving around and I, I miss. So they can't aim well because their hands are shaking from the weight of the hunting gun. They can't keep it steady. So I think you and I, Yuan, okay, hear me out. We need to create a gun stand that can harness to their waist and help them hold it steady, hold, hold it level. Now, this is not a breakthrough invention. Like things like this exist. So Mr. Z is super excited and he's like, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there are other things like this. Okay, hold on, hold on. But this works in different ways. Mm -hmm. It's just a little bit different. So, I don't know. This guy just seems to be full of not-so-great business ideas. But he's like that one uncle at family gatherings that's hassling everyone for money. He's like, if I just had the funds, I could be a billionaire with this idea I have. So, the idea is, I'm going to make this thing, but it's two knives attached at the center. And it's kind of like a crisscross, two knives. And you can use one hand to, like, cut and chop things. You're like, do you mean scissors? <laughs> he's like, yeah, but not exactly. It works in different ways. <laughs> okay. Okay, uncle, here, drink some more. <laughs> that was Mr. Z. So Yuan is not having it. He's got other businesses to tend to. Mr. Z is like, all right, let Mr. me just... Mr. Z is Mr. Z. Yeah, right? sorry. <laughs> and so Mr. Z is like, let me just start working on a prototype for this gun harness because you don't seem enthusiastic right now. But when you see what I see in this little head of mine, in this little noodle, you're going to fall in love. So he's excited to show Yuan because he thinks this is the next billionaire Shark Tank idea. And finally, he feels like I'm going to be rich, not because Yuan is giving me money, but I'm going to be rich on my own now. So he spends a lot of time with his gun and this rifle and making this waste supporter, which side note, he did have a lot of guns in the house. I mean, they had a mice problem because the house is on the mountainside. So it's not because the house is dirty. There's just a lot of mice. So he would shoot this little mice rifle like one to 200 times a day. 200 wow. mice, yeah. A lot of freaking mice. He knew how to shoot these rifles. He was very good with them. He claims he always locked them back up in the cabinet when he was done using them. That's important. Now, one day, Yuan gets home from a business trip, and he's a bit agitated, I'm sure. Maybe he feels the resentment towards the Zhao family, and it's beginning to show. But Mr. Z was the only one there to witness it. His wife was out on a walk. Uh, his mother-in-law was actually visiting at the time. So the two of them are going on a walk, just looking at the, all the rich neighborhoods. And Florence was in China for business. And Mr. Z said his plan was to show Yuan the gun stand and then just go on a hike. Like he already had his running shoes on and everything. So he sets the gun stand up and shows it in its full glory. And honestly, he gets a pretty positive reaction. Yuan was kind of impressed. He said, I, I approve. Okay, this is great. So what's next, Yuan? What's next? Yuan thought about it. He's scratching his chin. Okay, so we get two people who are good with English to represent the company, and then we get this thing going. I'll give you, what, $4,000 a month starting, and uh, we'll go from there. Which, side note, I don't know what kind of work Mr. Z was going to do for the invention. I'm sure he wouldn't do nothing. But at the same time, I mean, a great idea is nothing without execution. So honestly, $4,000 to start and probably room to grow as the company grows. What kind of entrepreneur would think that's a bad deal? Entrepreneurs are never guaranteed any money from the start. They haven't even sold a single unit yet, but Mr. Z was pissed. Only $4,000, but I'm the inventor. Yeah, but Z, it's such a simple invention and these things have been done before. It's so easily imitated by other people and you don't even know if it's going to make money right now. <sighs> 
Mr. Zeef said he felt cheated. He felt like he needed like a third of the earnings on top of his salary. I mean, this this is weird. So now this is where things get very shady. Zeke claims out of nowhere, and I'm not saying that this happened, and honestly, there's so much debate around it, but Zeke claims that Yuan Chikli said, yeah, you know, I'll give you 50% of the shares for this invention if you get your daughter to marry me. Now, mind you, this is technically his niece, kind of, you know? I mean, Yuan is cousins with Florence's mom, and now he wants to marry Florence? I mean, sure, they're not biologically related because Florence's mom was adopted, but still, it's disgusting if this is true. So Mr. Z said he felt like he was so shocked. Uh, what? <laughs> you're kidding, right? I mean, yeah, you're totally kidding. I know you are. I mean, it's not a good joke, but <laughs> it's not a good joke, but you're kidding. But according to Z, Yuan kept going. I don't know what's the big deal. It's not like we're biologically related in any way. What? How can you even say that or even think that? We're still family, Yuan. We're, we're still family. Everyone knows we're family. If... If you're serious, you need help. You need to stop thinking things like this. What the hell? Again, see, I don't know what the big deal is. I'm in my 40s now. I just want to settle down. We already kind of live together, you know? She lives in my house. It makes sense. Z said he started noticing Yuan was being very serious about this. He was shocked. No, no, I mean, no way. You're insane. I would never let something like that come true ever. I mean, you must be out of your mind. Well, Z, you know, no one can stop me from something that I want to do. And then according to Zhao, Yuan used a Chinese expression that's really hard to translate, but essentially it means, what are you going to do? You're a little coward. But more eloquently, more deeper, a lot more scathing. Z said he realized Yuan was dead serious, so it made him very nervous. I mean, he loved Yuan as a family member, or so he says, but he knew that Yuan was a playboy. He had poor self-control when it came to women. He wasn't that great of a boyfriend, let alone he couldn't even imagine him being a husband, especially to his own daughter. He felt like whoever married Yuan, sure, they would be rich, but they would be miserable for the rest of their lives. So he put his foot down, or at least he tried. But Yan allegedly kept going, and Z was too meek to stop him. Z thought, all right, all right, okay, I need to put my foot down a little bit more. So he said, you, you know, we are related. We're relatives at the end of the day, and you guys are not even in the same generation. She's so young. This is still incest, even if you're not biologically related. Aren't you a freaking beast by even thinking these types of thoughts? Mr. Z said that this sent Yan off. He went crazy. He started hitting Z all over the head, slapping him around. Beast? Huh? Beast? Side note, Z said all the slapping was um, not very light. It was very forceful. He also mentioned over and over again to the police that he was only 5'4 and maybe weighed like 148 pounds, 160 soaking wet. Meanwhile, Yuan was over 6 feet tall and weighed close to 200 pounds. And Yuan is hitting him and Z said he just stood there trying to block his blows and he kept going and kept going and he was aiming for Z's face. And at one point, Z backed up, slipped on his own slipper on the floor. So now he is laying down and Yuan is towering over him. And he's scared. And he, he looks to his right and he sees a hammer laying nearby. So he crawls over, grabs the hammer as fast as possible and threw it up in the air at Yuan. Stop, you, you better not come closer. He said Yuan scoffed and said, you're just a coward. You wouldn't dare hit me. If you even dare pick up that fucking hammer, I'll kick you to death. And he allegedly started kicking Z. And Z said he tried to use the hammer to hit him back. And he knew that he did hit Yuan a few times. This is what he told the police. But he was unsure of where because it was just pure chaos. There was so much kicking, punching, screaming, and swinging. And in slow motion, Z said, Yuan cursed for getting hit and turned around and reached for the gun. Z knew it was unloaded at this point, but he was still terrified. He's looking directly into the barrel of this hunting rifle. So he gets up as fast as he can and he hit Yuan on the head with the hammer as hard as he could, twice, to the head. What's interesting is that Z would later say, you know, I, I tried to avoid the back of Yuan's head because I watched a lot of boxing growing up and there's apparently a mushy fatal spot on the back of the head. So I did my best to avoid that spot. I didn't want to kill Yuan. I just wanted to disarm him. I didn't like him with the gun. Now, this only pissed off Yuan. It did not knock him out. It didn't do anything other than him bleeding from his head, looking, staring daggers into Z's face. 
So Yuan tries to wrestle this hammer away. They're yanking it back and forth. Sweat is piling up. Their palms are getting moist, but neither of them are letting go. Yuan's screaming at him. How dare you hit me with the hammer? I have to fucking kill you now. Mr. Z said that really scared him. He saw Yuan bleeding from the head, blood dripping while he's just angrily yelling. It was like a horror movie. He was too panicked to look closely, but it was very, very scary. During this crazy struggle of them trying to get the hammer from each other, they're moving around the house, you know, as they're yanking it. It's not just standing still. Eventually, they both fall to the ground together, and Z got up without losing his grip on the hammer. So did Yuan. So they're yanking again, and Z starts to feel his grip slip, and his hands are too sweaty to hold on. He knew that he didn't have much strength left in him. So being strategic, he let go out of nowhere. Yuan was holding so hard and pulling so aggressively that he fell back the minute that Z let go. And that gave Z enough time to exit the house. But there was Yan right behind him, chasing him down with a hammer, trying to get to him. And so he's so scared. Yan's blocking him from leaving the driveway. I mean, sure, there's other ways to get off the property, but this is like an $8 million property. I'm assuming that it's a little bit harder than to just run in a different direction. Z said that he was so scared, he just didn't know how to run past Yan. He didn't know how to escape, so he just turned back around and ran back into the house. He didn't lock the door because, I mean, Yuan has the key, I'm assuming, and there's like, what, six different doors into the house. Some of them usually are left unlocked. I mean, it was crazy. He just needed the precious time to find a place to hide or find some sort of weapon to defend himself with. So he grabs from the cabinet his mice gun. Now, this is very different from a hunting gun. You know, you're not killing a giant deer or whatever hunters are killing. You're killing mice with this gun. It's not going to be the most powerful, crazy weapon, but it is still a weapon, a very scary, it's a gun. So he points it down at Jan, who just entered the house, and he's like, don't move, don't move. From now on, you have to stay away from my daughter. If you dare do anything bad, I'm never going to forgive you. And he shook the gun in his hand to scare Jan. And Jan was not scared. He just looked at him and said, look at you. You have a gun for mice. What, what do you think you're going to hit? Do you think I'm a scared, timid little mouse? I don't think so. You know why I do so well in life, unlike you? My business has prospered because I struggle for it. Even the illegal organized crime bosses are scared of me. Who the fuck do you think you are? A coward like you? What are you going to do to me, huh? Z claims he tried to calm the situation down. Now, he's saying... I'm not saying I was going to do anything to you, Yuan. I just want you to stay away from my daughter. You're a bad influence. And I I've seen the way that you treat women. You verbally abuse them and you even verbally abuse your own mother. People who live with you will never have happiness. And I can't risk that for my daughter. She's my, she's my only child. You have to get rid of the idea of my daughter. Z said that Yuan looked him in the eye, staring into his soul. And he just responded with, yeah, no one's going to stop me from doing what I want. So Z tried once more. He puffed up his chest, waved the gun and said, don't think that just because I normally don't lose my temper, I, I can easily be bullied. Th this is important to me. I can put up with other things, but I'm not going to put up with this. Even a rabbit would not eat the grass around his nest, implying that even a bad person who does bad things will not hurt someone next to him, so close to him, family. Z continued, how can you even think of something so gross and heinous? Like even the thought is disgusting. You're disgusting. You're, you're just a beast. You're worse than a beast. You're, you're a pig or a dog. And so Yuan sneered at him and came at him with the hammer and swung. Z was so scared, he slipped. And as he was dodging, his body shook and the first shot ran out. After he finally steadied himself, he said that his ears were ringing. He saw Yuan glaring at him with so much anger that even the look itself felt like a threat on his life. He said because of that, instinctively, he loaded the second bullet and Yuan tried to reach for the gun, and Z fired the second shot. So he loaded? Loaded. Oh my gosh. Yuan fell over, and Z said that he had no intention of firing at Yuan, but he just wanted to scare him, but he had fired two shots. Then Z grabbed for the hammer so Yuan couldn't grab it, and he noticed that Yuan was no longer moving. He tried to get closer, but he was cautious. He wanted to see if maybe he should call 911 or, or the hospital. He wanted to see if Yuan was okay. But he was at a distance. He was poking at Yuan with the hammer. You know, like they say, don't poke the bear. Yuan wasn't moving. He was so scared. His eyes were open. Blood is coming out of his mouth. And that is when Z said he knew that he was dead. He knew that the most terrible thing had just happened. And he was in big trouble. He froze. 
He was just in a trance. He didn't even call an ambulance. He didn't even try to help because it was just too late. He just stood there in fear and he was stunned. He didn't know what to do. He said the only thing on his mind is, how do I clean this up? My wife and her mom are about to come home from their walk. I mean, just think about it. You have evidence of a struggle, blood everywhere. Yuan is dead on the floor. This guy is six feet tall, over 200 pounds. How are you going to clean that up? I mean, why would you even think that you could clean that up? So yeah, it doesn't get done. So his wife and his mother-in-law walk in on him, standing over Yuan's body. And they let out a terrible, echoing cry. I mean, the modern walls and the marble floors of this mansion, I'm sure it's ear piercing, the blood curdling scream. I need to call an ambulance, honey. What are you doing? And her husband snaps out of it. And Mr. Zhang says, just put the phone down. There's no use. He's already dead. Listen, we're scared. I get it. You're panicked, but the police aren't going to do anything but make it worse. Just go stay in a hotel tonight. Okay. I'm going to take care of this. I don't want you to have a breakdown or lose your mind. Okay. Lee, the wife was confused. But she did as she was told and she took her mom to the hotel. Which, side note, the way that Mr. Z was caught is absolutely insane. So Mr. Z, the next morning, cooks himself a noodle breakfast, never has a chance to eat it because he found himself looking into the copious amounts of weapons that are aimed at him. I mean, SWAT team had just surrounded him. They had watched him all night long. This is going to put into perspective everything he does next. The SWAT team was watching inside the floor-to-ceiling mansion windows all night long, hiding in the shadows, hiding behind trees. And in the morning, they arrested him. They saw him calmly washing blood from the hunting knife. They heard the whirring of the electric saw on and off, cutting through something large all night long. They saw Mr. Z meticulously cleaning off the electric saw blade. I mean, they saw it all. And the fact that he was doing this in the victim's house, dismembering the owner of the house inside of this mansion, it really is the real-life parasite case. Now, Mr. Zhang is claiming that Yuan did everything for them. And in return, he wanted to marry Florence, but Zhang said, no, like, I'm not going to let you marry my daughter. You can do anything else and I'll do anything for you, but marry my daughter. That's crazy. So then he claims that this violent fight broke out and they fought till one of them could no longer fight. And it happened to be Yuan. This was not about money, finances, business. It was about family. So does that story even make sense? I'm not sure. Some people think so because Z was a very passive person from the get-go. He never had violent tendencies or outbursts. He seemed like the type that would just avoid conflict at all costs. So maybe in a sense, his version of events kind of makes sense. But what about the plot holes? Because there's a lot of freaking plot holes. I mean, it's fair to say that if Yuan did suggest marrying Florence, it's highly inappropriate and he should be dealt with. I don't know legally because technically I don't know if it's illegal, but he's not a great person if he suggested it. Do I think that he should be murdered and dismembered over it? No, but there's actually a lot of evidence to suggest that he never was interested in Florence like that and that this is all a lie that Mr. Z told to get a lighter sentence. He said that he did it to protect his daughter, but I don't know, some parts just don't add up. All family members, including Mr. Z, said that Yuan had never, ever been inappropriate with Florence, never hinted at sexual or romantic wants or needs, none of that. On top of that, at the time, Florence was married. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so Florence had married a guy in China, but her parents forced her to divorce him because he wasn't rich. I mean, this whole thing was so messy. Now, I don't know if Yuan was interested in getting involved in all of that, but he did help her find a divorce attorney, which later Mr. Zhang is like, see, he's helping her get a divorce so that he can marry her. But a lot of people are saying, no, it's more likely it's because he's family and he has a lot of attorney connections. Also, a lot of people pointed out that Yuan was very much into the tall, model-esque woman. And Florence was maybe, I don't know, five feet tall. She was really short. If he really wanted to marry someone, he could marry... Anyone. I mean, there were lines of women waiting to marry him, but he always turned them down. He said, Yuan said, he hated the idea of getting married because he hated the idea of staying faithful. But if you're married and if you cheat and you get caught, then half your net worth goes to the woman because you're a little cheater. But on the other hand, I've seen an argument online that's like, well, maybe he wanted to marry someone in the family, even though they're, you know, because they're not biologically related, because that's a lot of incentive for her to not steal his money. 
But that doesn't make sense because he could just stay unmarried. There's no law that you have to marry. Some people said, oh, it's for tax purposes. But at that point, when you're making that much money, I don't know how much money you can deduct from having a spouse that's not working. Like, that doesn't... What? I just can't see that being a tax thing. Yeah. So all the reasons he supposedly wanted to marry Florence, they all seem superficial and kind of just don't make sense. Unless he genuinely was just being a creep and he was really good at hiding it until this point. But logically speaking, it's hard to see what he wanted. So what happens next? Well, remember how Z kicks his wife out of the house so she doesn't have a breakdown. She goes to the hotel. She's pacing. What do I do? What do I do? That's my cousin. He's done so much for us. That's my husband. I don't like someone's going to know, you know, it's not like this. This guy is high profile. Yuan, my cousin, he's a businessman. He's going to have business contacts calling him nonstop. I bet his phone is ringing off the charts right now. So she called the police and told them that she found her husband standing over her cousin's dead body. Now, the police, they did not want to burst through the door right away because they were unsure of how many weapons were in the house. They knew that there were no other people in the house, so there were no active hostages or active lives at, you know, at risk. So they decided to surround, have the SWAT team surround, hiding in the trees and the bushes and the shadows. And they wanted to lure Z out. And that's when they heard, for many hours in the middle of the night, Mr. Z using an electric saw. They saw from the giant floor-to-ceiling windows that Mr. Z was engaging in dismemberment. That's how they wrote about it. He was also methodically washing his hands up to the elbows in the kitchen sink. He was at the same time washing dishes like a normal day. He was so calm. And mind you, he's alone. You know, it's not like he's in front of other people where he has to pretend to be calm. He's alone, but he's so calm. He would clean the electric saw. He would eat a banana, make some tea, stir his cup of tea, drink it and go back to dismembering. I mean, it was just wild. They saw him clean the gun, the rifle that he used, until finally at 8 a.m., an entire night had passed over them watching the house and they were finally able to get Mr. Z on the phone. The Mandarin-speaking police officer had been constantly calling him through the night and he had not been picking up. So finally he picked up and when he did, he was very scared. He rushed out onto the ground, outside. He was handcuffed and taken away. He surrendered. He was ready to tell his story. He talked about how Yuan wanted to marry Florence. He dismembered Yuan. He said he had to do what he had to do. At one point, he claimed that he even turned off the light to saw Yuan apart because it was just so gross and sick. He said at one point he started hallucinating and he felt like he was dismembering a bear that he had just hunted down. And someone was standing behind him asking him questions. How do you dismember a bear? What part of the bear is that? But randomly, he would snap out of his hallucinations and freak out because he realized he didn't dismember a bear, but it was a human and a family member on top of that. So he freaked out. And that's why he said that their body has differences in cuts. Some of the cuts on the dismemberment were neat. Some of them were jagged. It was because he was in and out of these hallucinations. And part of the reason why he chopped Yuan up to 108 separate pieces was because he genuinely thought he was chopping up a bear. And that's what you do when you hunt. You chop them down into tiny pieces. He said, it's not because I'm heartless and I wanted to dismember him like that. I was just hallucinating. So after dismembering Yuan, he took a shower and went to sleep. In the morning, he was cooking himself some noodles, ate a banana, and that's when the call came in. He was genuinely living his life there. Even the forensic experts handling the autopsy said it was so intense. They had to puzzle Yuan back together. There were close to 14 boxes filled with separate body parts. I mean, it was just a lot. Some of the cuts were fairly neat and others were not. And with the body and with Mr. Z's confession, he was arrested and news broke of the most bizarre rich people murder in Vancouver. I mean, what? Florence put out a statement on social media that said, This period was the darkest time in my life. I'm in extreme sadness every day. I cannot believe this type of tragedy happened to my family. Life is truly a cruel screenwriter. When everything happened, I was on a business trip in China. Midnight of May 3rd, I got a call. Change your flight. Return to Vancouver ASAP. No one told me what happened. The flight back, I was confused and unsettled. I could never imagine the news that I was waiting for. This is my family. On one side, the victim is my family. On the other side, my father has been charged of manslaughter. My mom is the one who called the police. The details are under investigation, but what I worry about the most right now is just taking care of my mom and my grandma, who are traumatized. Please pray for them and me. And give us kindness so we can forgive those who are spreading lies about my family. 
We're just waiting for the truth. Did you catch that? My father has been charged of manslaughter. Interestingly, mm-hmm. Mr. Zhang was charged with manslaughter instead of murder. Mm. Because manslaughter charges carry no minimum sentence, but murder, I mean, he could face life in prison. The attorneys brought up Z's clean criminal record, his philanthropic efforts to show that he was a good person. They gathered 16 different character witnesses to vouch for his character, and they all said that Z was honest. Mr. Z was honest, good-humored, peaceful, nonviolent, very family-oriented. So during the trial, Mr. Z argued that Yuan was a horrible person that wanted to marry his daughter. He had fathered children from many different women. I mean, it was just, it was a lot. Mr. Z even said that Yuan had a girlfriend that attempted suicide because of how Yuan treated her and how he had to end it with her and toss her and the child to the side. Mr. Z said that Yuan was obsessed with sex workers and bragged about getting STIs from them. He said they said that he was so horrible with women that he was banned from multiple dating websites in China. And allegedly, he had 100 girlfriends around the world at any given time. Meanwhile, the prosecutors argued that the real reason that the fight happened was not over Florence. It had to do with money. Because remember that farmland? Apparently, Yuan was going to sell it, and he was going to cut Mr. Z out of the deal. He felt like it was appropriate since he pretty much fed the whole family for a while. I mean, does he really need to give him a fat share of the profits, too? He supported him for so long. So that's what the prosecutor's claim was the real reason for the fight. The fact that Yuan wanted to cut Mr. Z out of the deal. And to really bolster their theory, the prosecutors found out that Mr. Z's wife had transferred $2 million to her own bank account after Yuan's passing. This was of Yuan's money. So she was charged with theft. Now, before we get into the verdict and the fate of Mr. Z, let's talk about Yuan. Yuan didn't have a will and he had at least $21 million in assets. So there was a lot of debate on how that would be shared. He didn't have a wife, so there was no wife getting it. But what about the other family members? What about his brother? Didn't Mr. Z mention that he had some kids? Well, every few days, a woman would come forward to the Canadian courts and claim her stake of the will. They would show up with a little child in their hands saying, this child is Jan's. We deserve a piece of that pie. In total, seven women came forward with various children, some from China, Canada, the U.S., but only five children turned out to be Yuan's. The judge made a timeline and named each mother M1, M2, M3, and so on and so forth, in order of how they met Yuan and when their children were born. Each woman was trying to declare that they had a husband and wife relationship with Yuan, even though it wasn't legally made clear. So not only did their child deserve a piece of that pie, but they deserved it too. What's crazy is that most of these women had no idea that he had other women and other children until they found out that he was murdered, which is like so shocking. I guess he was really good at compartmentalizing his girlfriends. I mean, it was just a lot and it spanned for so long. There was one wife who did find pictures of him and videos of him having sex with other women on his computer, but she still claims that she had no idea that he had other kids. There was another woman that found out that he was dating somebody else, but still had no idea that he had other kids. All of them thought that they were the only mother of his children. So I'm not sure how the estate is being split off, but I'm assuming that all five children are entitled to the inheritance. But all of this cast doubt on Z's story. Like, why would he want to marry Flo? One of the moms even said, there's no way that Yuan liked Florence, even though she's pretty. Yeah, she is. She's only five feet tall. He's been dating models for a while. I mean, look at the five moms. Why would he like her? He's like a playboy. His biggest fear is after marriage, if he gets caught cheating, he's going to owe a woman a lot of money. Other family members said that they heard Florence's mom complaining that they would soon be homeless. They said that Yuan was cutting them out of deals. There was a lot of business tensions. Maybe they didn't know that he didn't have a will. Maybe they didn't know that he had other children. Maybe they thought that they would genuinely just inherit his wealth in the house. Because they were already living there. Mm. I think nobody can really Mm. be sure of what happened that day. Except for Mr. Z. And he has a lot of incentive to lie. Only two people will ever know. Also, some people speculate that he had a lot more children than just five. Since he had a list of 68 women. Yeah, Yuan had a list of 68 women listed with their ages and cities. I mean, it wouldn't be impossible that more of these women had children by Yuan and just didn't come forward when the news broke. So in 2020... Mr. Z's verdict came out. The judge said that the crime was gruesome, but he doubted that Mr. Z planned it. So he was acquitted of murder and convicted of manslaughter. Sentenced to 10 years and 6 months. 
but that's because it? that's it and because of legal loopholes he could be getting out as early as 2023 yuan's family is super upset i mean it just feels like he's gotten away with murder and they feel like this is the real parasite as for florence she changed her name to mimi started a jewelry line with her boyfriend and oh yeah remember that show ultra rich crazy asian girls yeah well it was revealed that only one of the girls was actually rich the other three were faking it just like florence so it's really confusing. I mean, this case is confusing because on one hand, nobody deserves to ever have their lives ended. That's never a question, but it's a matter of who's really good and who's really bad. On one hand, you have this opulence, this excess wealth with, you know, tax evasion sprinkled in, a lot of lying and deceiving towards women. A lot of women were hurt, you know, a lot of children are hurt. But then on the other hand, you have someone that takes advantage of that wealth and maybe even kills for it. I don't know. What are your thoughts? And does this remind you of the real Parasite movie? And I hope you guys enjoyed this week's mini-sode, and I will see you on Wednesday for the main episode. Bye!